There's some kids in here right now with a look of fear in their eyes. They, they, they think they're stuck in here. I want to tell you, while I open this sermon in prayer, you're welcome to head out to your kids' class. We do need four of you to take a chair with you. So if we could get four chairs over there, we, we had all the chairs used up, which is a blessing, but just four of you carry them, and we're going to open in prayer. Lord, thank you for these children. I think of a Savior that said, let them come. Let them come, and we pray for powerful ministry in the room next door this morning as well as in here as we open your word in both rooms. Pray that any who don't know you would be drawn to saving life in Jesus Christ, and for those of us who do, that you would take us deeper, take us further, uh, help us to grow in our relationship with you as a result of our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week, if you got the weekly email, and if you, if you didn't and you're not on the list, sign up at the table out here if you want to be. We, we put the challenge out there. Hey, we're going into 2 Peter. Read chapters 1 through 3 this week. And on the way in, I talked to one guy who did, and he was so excited. He said, I was so excited by what I read in chapter 1. It just filled me up. And I told him, man, I hope there's a lot of people sitting out there that are like that. We are in 2 Peter. We just finished 1 Peter, our new series. We, we decided to title it, Building Up the Believers. That's something Peter was passionate about in his life. And I think a large part of the reason he was passionate about building up other believers is he was a man who knew what it was to fail, to fall to be stuck in that discouragement for a time and, and wonder if God could use him again. But he was also a man who was restored by the grace of Jesus Christ on that beach in John chapter 21. Jesus had told him in the upper room, Luke twenty-two thirty-two, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, Peter. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's what he did in his lifetime throughout the book of Acts. That's what he's doing this morning through this book that God led him to write. But chose this title and you think of the idea of construction of building. And I wonder if you thought of your, your spiritual life as a building. How is your building this morning? You're feeling strong and, and, and whole or are there any that would say my, my spiritual life, if it's a building, is honestly feeling kind of torn down? Run down, beat up, falling apart. You don't have to raise your hand, but living in this crazy world, we can, we can get there, right? So th this book is for us to, to build us up in this pilgrim world that we're in. And I want to share a couple themes from the whole book before we get into our 11 verses in chapter 1 this morning. One is the idea that Peter is writing to stir up the Christians, Okay. 2 Peter 1.13, he says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. He uses the same phrase in 2 Peter 3, and I thought about stirring up, and I was looking for images for this series, and I found a mixer with some batter in it. I'm like, no, God's not trying to make us into pumpkin pancakes or something like we made earlier at our house. That doesn't really work. <laughs> what does he mean, stir up? Well, he means to, to light a fire under the, the Christians, right? To, to challenge them to go from inactivity 
to activity in the world, from, from sitting still in their Christian life to moving forward, right? From, from complacency into urgency. That's what he means by stir up. But he also used the word remind, to stir you up by way of reminder. I think Peter knew something about reminding. You think of the three years with Jesus, how many times Jesus had to remind them over and over about the same things. How gracious Jesus was that he didn't walk up to them and say, hello, McFly. You know, you ever read those stories? One time he did. He did. They were, they were in a boat after one of the bread multiplying miracles. And he had warned them against the yeast of the Pharisees. And all the guys are saying, is he saying that because we forgot bread? And Jesus looks at him and says, are you still so dull? After all you've seen, it's not about bread. I got that covered. Right? Thank God. God, Jesus is in, in God or in the Spirit are faithful to remind us. I, I don't know about you, I need that sometimes. Over and over and over again to, to be in His Word so I remember the truth. He reminds us. Ours is a faith of reminding. We go back to the apostles' teachings and the Word of God as our foundation for truth. Anybody run into somebody that says, I got something new that doesn't quite line up with that, run away. Ours is a faith of reminding. So what Peter's doing here, that's what we're aiming to do this morning in his word. He also brings up the word know or knowledge a lot in this book, 15 times to be exact, in three chapters. He wants them to know God. He wants them to know truth, and we're going to talk more about what kind of knowledge he's often talking about. He's also warning them. If you remember in 1 Peter, he was warning them about danger from the outside. There's going to be persecution. Here's how you stand firm when persecution comes. Here's how you, how you live in light of that. In this book, especially in chapter 2, he's going to warn them that there are dangers that can come from within the church. False teaching that can rise up that is equally deadly, if not more so, than the persecution from the outside. One other thing that makes this book interesting, it was written, most believe, within a, a few short years after 1 Peter and shortly before he died at the hands of Emperor Nero. These are his last words, much like 2 Timothy was the last words of Paul. Okay, and I don't know if any of you have been by the, the deathbed of anybody you love. You listen closely for those last words because those last words are are priceless, they're special. What's on their heart right now? What is it they want to pass on? And that's what we have in this book. He knew his time was coming. Second Peter 1.13, he says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He knew his time was coming and he had to get this out to the church. He didn't want to go on without passing this on. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter. Simeon is simply the Jewish form of Simon. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
There are precious truths right in this opening verse. He's writing to the church and he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Many believe he is saying that the believers within the church, their faith is on the same level as the faith of the apostles. Sometimes we get this mindset like, whoa, if I could have walked with Jesus like those guys, that would have been next level. You know, like he says, look, Every one of you who has the Holy Spirit of God living in you has, has a faith that's just as precious as, as that of those men and women who walked with Jesus while He was here. There are no tears. Everybody gets the same righteousness before God. Why? Because it's not our righteousness. It's the, the righteousness of Christ. Romans 3.22, Paul described it this way, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ For all who believe. This was in contrast to false teachers who were running around the church world, elevating themselves above the other people, making themselves sound superior. Peter comes in and says, "Uh uh, I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and your faith is on the same standing as that of the apostles. How awesome is that? Same righteousness as the apostles. Another important phrase here. It's the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of those lines you could read over quickly and say, oh yeah, he's probably talking about God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. When you look at the Greek, there's only one definite article there. You know what that means? When he says our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's talking about one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. You ever want to talk with somebody about that? Take them to this verse. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'd think most people in the church know that. But Daniel shared something that was confirmed to me in an email this week. I got an email from Answers in Genesis called The Distressing State of Theology Results Released. R.C. Sproul's ministry, Ligonier, puts out a survey every two years to find out the status of theology among those who call themselves evangelicals. Okay? How do they define evangelicals? They had four key points, but here's one I'll mention. These are people that said the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Okay? Listen to this. 32% of folks that said that agreed that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not. God. That's of those who say the Bible is their highest authority for what they believe. 32%. But I want to tell you something. If Jesus is not God, He is not sinless. And His death on the cross does nothing for you. Does nothing for me. If Jesus is not God, He did not walk out of that tomb. And if he did not walk out of that tomb, we might as well get up and leave and and go watch football. Or if you're boycotting football, go get some breakfast. And for the rest of the week, go do whatever you feel like doing. But he is sinless. And he did walk out of that tomb and it changes everything. Changes everything. It's his righteousness by faith that saves us, okay? Okay? Verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace, God's undeserved favor. Peace, a, a wholeness in the middle of the chaos. 
How many of us long for those things? Many of us have them. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's the only way. If you don't have it, that's the only way. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. Could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. He closes with this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Grace and peace come in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. But this is not just any kind of knowledge. It's not like memorizing facts up here. That word is gnosis. The word here in Greek is epinosis, which means Full knowledge, which comes from an intimate relationship with someone that you walk with, talk with, listen to. Let me explain the difference like this. Carolyn and I got married in 1998, and I could have some gnosis about her, some, some knowledge that I could, could share. Like, she was born January 29th on... She was born in Elyria, Ohio. She went to Elyria High School there, graduated in 1994. But that's not the stuff that, that a relationship is made up of, is it? The full knowledge comes when I walk through life with her and, and talk with her and I hear her hopes and her dreams and her fears and what's important to her and what she prays for. That's epinosis. And he says grace and peace is multiplied to us when we have that kind of knowledge of God. And I read that, I'm like, man, distance learning works great for college. It does not work with Christ. It only comes in close relationship with Him, walking through life with Him, talking with God, listening to Him through His Word on a day-in, day-out basis. Epinosis does not come if Sunday is the only time we open our Bibles. Epinosis does not come if, if Sunday is the only time we pray. It's a, it's a moment by moment walk. I had a moment like this this week. I had just heard the news about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death and on top of everything else going on in our country, thinking about which, which way is this going to go. And then I read Psalm 29, verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Well, I can't tell you how that filled me up. And it got my mind going down a train of thought I want to share with you. I shared it with Carolyn yesterday. It led me to lift my eyes to the God who has no term limits. He has no checks and balances. He does not need congressional approval or votes. Help me lift my eyes to the God. No human or satanic power can thwart. No human or satanic power can obstruct his omniscience, hinder his holiness, 
recall his righteousness, prohibit his power, jam up his justice, restrain his wrath against evil, or legislate his love. And when it comes to his children, no one can filibuster his favor. No one can grandstand against his grace. And no one can mitigate his mercy. And though battles rage today, in the end we'll look back and see that no one could veto his victory. Amen. Amen? Now that was not a gnosis moment for me where I'm just like, those are some cool facts. That filled me up yesterday morning. I want to ask you, do you have moments like that with God where you're in his word and he's speaking to you and you're listening and you're thanking him for it? I talked to a man this morning whose, whose wife is on a temporary job in China, but his son is here, and he decided to stay here with his son for a season, not because he doesn't love his wife, but because he said this. He said, discipleship cannot happen from a distance. He wants to be there with his son to disciple him. And I, I heard that. I'm like, that's what this is. Discipleship with God does not happen from a distance. It only happens as we spend time with him. Moment by moment, day by day. I want to talk to you about the, the believer's toolbox. We got quite a toolbox. I might even call it a treasure chest. Things that God gives the believer in Christ. Look at this, verse 3. Three Ps. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We got this divine power that works within us. And when he's talking about life and godliness, when he says life, he's not just talking about sucking air. Everybody on this planet is doing that that's alive. He is talking about relationship with God, vibrant life, full life. His power gives us that. I, I think about a song called Afterlife by Switchfoot, one of my favorite Christian bands. They, they say this, why would I wait till I die to come alive? I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. I love that song because they're like, we have this life in Christ inside us right now. Let's go get it. Don't wait till we die. Go, go live it now. We got this power through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. There's the second one, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want to talk about those second two P's, promises. And promises in God's word are the fuel of our faith. We have a lot of backyard fires, which don't be scared. You're allowed to. My brother-in-law is a firefighter. Certain kinds are okay. He told me. But what happens when you're out there around the fire and it starts to get low? If you want that flame to grow, you've got to throw some more wood in there, right? If you, if you view your faith as a fire and it's getting low, open God's Word and pull those, those logs, those promises out of there and throw them in the fire. His promises are the fuel for our faith. When we went through Ephesians, I remember we talked about scuba. For people not to drown underwater, they have scuba gear, right? Self-controlled underwater breathing apparatus. But we said for the Christian, listen, it's a spirit-controlled understanding of blessings assured. <laughs> you want to live in this world without drowning? 
Know what blessings God has promised you and rest in them. Rest in those promises. He goes on. He says, we're partakers of the divine nature. Wow, I wouldn't even say that if it wasn't in God's word. Why does he say that? Because we become a new creation in Christ when we come by faith to him. And and the Holy Spirit, member of the Trinity, God comes to set up camp inside of you. You are now a temple, partaker of the divine nature. What promises, right? For this very reason, what, verse 5, in light of all these great promises, what, what's he going to say? For this very reason, sit back and relax till Jesus comes? Just stay in your prayer closet and do nothing except pray? Just sit back and relax till Jesus comes. Is that what he says? No. He says, make every effort. You got these great tools from God. Make every effort. I, I hear that phrase and I'll tell you what I think about. I go jogging around our neighborhood and there was a day this week and I look and there are two pit bulls just roaming the street. Not on a leash and they come running up to me Tail wagon, but still they're pit bulls. I don't know how quickly that's going to change. So when it got about this close, I ran to the closest house and I'm knocking on the door. (laughs) There's pit bulls out here. Help. (laughs) It's like 6.30 in the morning. (laughs) Took about three minutes. Thankfully, the pit bulls wandered off in the meantime and they came out and I told them and they said, oh, we've seen them out before. Those, those, those pit bulls made every effort to come after me. We, later on the same day, my son Evan, we were all going for a walk in the field behind our neighborhood in the evening. He said, we should take our knife in, in case another dog comes. <laughs> I don't get all mad. I love dogs, but if they're chewing on my leg. I'll do what I got to do. We took that knife, and sure enough, we're walking out there, and there's a lady about 100 yards in front of us with the dog on a leash. Next thing we know, that dog had gotten off the leash, and he's running full speed towards my whole family. I, I grab Luke, and I'm like, oh, and it turns out that was a nice one too. But I think about these dogs. I don't know if I smell like a milk bone or what. <laughs> but these dogs make every effort to come my way. Okay, that's the kind of eagerness I I hear Peter talking about. Because you got all these promises from God, eagerly make every effort to do what? To do what? Supplement your faith. To add to your faith. The Greek word can mean furnish, as though you begin your walk with Jesus and you have this relationship with Him, but the, the room's kind of empty. You want to furnish that room, okay? Grace and effort can go together in the Christian life, and they should. Your effort does not save you, but God's grace should inspire you to effort, to active cooperation in the power of the Spirit with what God has told us to do. Okay, think about it like this. An aunt and uncle of yours pay for you to go to college. Four years, but guess what? It's up to you whether you study hard or squander those four years, right? Think about it like this. Your father gives you a pretty sweet position at his firm when you graduate, but it's up to you if you work hard or waste that opportunity, right? Let me go on. 
parents give you a car. It's up to you if you treasure it or trash it. Right? Last but not least, somebody gives you a house. Wow. But it's up to you if you maintain it or mess it up. Okay, God has given us so many precious promises. He's given us His Son. Nothing can separate us from His love. What will we do with what He's given us? He says, make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith. And then He gives us this list. I want to go through them real briefly. He says, add virtue. What is virtue? It's one of those churchy words, right? It means goodness or excellence. It means to the, the fulfillment of a thing. When, when something is excellent, like this word's talking about, it serves its intended purpose. Uh, a car that's excellent drives well. Land that is excellent produces many crops. A restaurant that's excellent serves very good food. They, <laughs> Amen. They, they meet their purpose. So you say, what is the purpose of man? What is the purpose of a believer in particular? And I go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Many of you know it. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we live up to that purpose, when we make Him the center of our universe instead of ourselves, we are living with virtue. He says in virtue, to virtue, add knowledge. And right here it is talking about gnosis. It's talking about getting into God's Word and learning the truth about who He is. This does not happen by osmosis. Did you notice that? Like, you can't have your Bible on your shelf and you're laying in bed and like, all these things just automatically come out of there. After you read them, they, the Spirit often does that, but you, you got to get in there. You, you don't go to a river to gold pan and, and sit on the side with your gold pan like this. I don't see anything. Well, you got to dig in there. You put it in your gold pan, you get the water in there, you sift it. It's like that with God's Word. you got to get in there. A couple in our church told me this week they were having a pretty discouraging week. They had gone through some trials. And it was really weighing on them. And, and the husband said, we decided just to pull out our Bibles. And for an hour, we just went back and forth reading different scriptures to each other. And he said, I, I'll tell you what, after that hour, it was almost like even the fragrance in the house changed. That discouragement lifted. But it took intentionality, right? It took getting God's word out and getting in there. Knowledge of God is an important part of this deal. Knowledge with self-control. This means our passions are under control. I don't have to do something just because I think it, feel it, want it. I have self-control, the ability to restrain myself in God's power. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Self-control. Works with anger. Works with lust. Works with anything that flashes across our mind that's wrong. The ability to restrain ourselves with God's power. Self-control with steadfastness. This is standing firm underneath the weight of trials. It's patience, perseverance. 
I think about those guys that, that do that power lifting and they get that up there and it's painful to watch. And if they drop it before it's done, they, they, they can't win. But the guys that, that, that win lift it up here and they, they stay under that weight as long as they need to. And then it's time. It is staying faithful to God when trials come. It is holding on to his word when trials come. It is continuing to obey him with joy and faith and hope when trials come. Steadfastness with godliness. Becoming like our Father. Like Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I've told you before, little Lukey loves wearing button-up shirts just because Dad does. T-shirts won't cut it. If I got one of these on, he says, I want my red shirt because it's got buttons like Dad. We are to have that desire to imitate our, our Heavenly Father. Godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. I read those together because Warren Wearsby made a good distinction between those. I like the way he broke it down. Brotherly affection emphasizes our sameness in Christ. And I love you because you're a brother or sister in Christ. Love, in the last verse, brotherly affection with love, that's agape love. When I seek the highest good of the other, even when we differ. (laughs) Even when we don't necessarily like each other. Quite a list. He says, make every effort to add these. I think about the balance of what, what God has done. As Paul said in our message on spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, God provided the strength, but he looks at us and he says, you put on the armor. And he brought out the point that God will not do for us what he has told us to do in faith for ourselves and his power. He will provide the strength. And sometimes we think we're waiting on God to do something. And I had the thought this morning, I believe there are many moments in our lives where God's actually waiting on us. He said, I've given you all this. What are you waiting for? Go get it in your family. Go get it in your community. Go get it in your world. Peter knew this balance. I think about that moment when Jesus came walking on the water and and Peter's like, hey Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk to you. And so Jesus did and and Peter stepped out of the boat. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus like mind control Peter at that moment and turn him into some kind of puppet and make him step out of the boat? No. Peter took that step and then he began to walk. What a step of faith. He, none of the other guys did that. But as he walked on the water, was it in his own power? Oh, it was in the power of Jesus. In fact, the moment he took his eyes off him and saw the wind and the waves and got scared, he started to sink. It's, Lord, save me. But do you see the balance? Peter took that step of faith. And then for a time, he walked in Jesus' power. He knew this, this balance. Do we? So I want you to give yourself a test. You, you look at that list of qualities. Verse 8, he says, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great verse. If you're ever looking at your spiritual life and say, man, I feel like lately I've been ineffective. 
It's not making a difference. I've been unfruitful. I don't, I don't see God working in my relationships and, and through me in this world. Well, go back to the first part. Do I have these qualities? He says, if these qualities are yours, but he doesn't stop there. He says, and are increasing. You know what that tells me? There is no standing still in the Christian life. We are either striving in faith and in cooperation with the Spirit to be more like Jesus, or we're slipping backwards. It's like shoots and ladders. We're, we're always on one or the other. Which one are we on this morning? I thought a, a good way to expose ourselves to this test is to look at the opposite of what those things were in that list. If, if, if I'm ineffective and unfruitful right now, Instead of virtue, do I have vice going on in my life? Willful sin that does not fulfill my purpose for being here? Instead of knowledge of God's word and promises, do I have ignorance? Instead of self-control, am I a person who is without restraint? I feel it, I do it, I think it, I say it. Instead of steadfastness, am I a person who is easily swayed? whether it's by other doctrines or, or trials come and I'm kind of half-hearted, I'm a fair-weather fan of Jesus and I love Him as long as things are going good, but as soon as things start going hard, I'm, I'm double-minded, man. I'm unstable in all my ways. Instead of godliness, am I worldly? Instead of brotherly affection, do I have a lot of rivalry with the people in my life? I'm always competing, always trying to one-up that person next to me. Instead of love, you think I'm going to say hatred, but I'm just going to say indifference. Do I love the, the people around me or am I just indifferent? That's a good test. If, if we look and say, man, I'm ineffective, I'm unfruitful, maybe that's what's going on. Either striving or slipping. God wants us to grow, to experience all that He has for us. I think about it like this. I talk about theme parks a lot because I, I love them. Some of you heard we got to take our family to Disneyland for the first time. And I, I thought about what if, what if somebody got in there and they were there for the day and then they, they went home and their friends asked them how it was. and That place stinks. It, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And their friends at home say, well, did you go to this ride? Did you walk to this restaurant? Did you reserve your spot at this show? And they said, no, I just got inside the gate and sat on a bench all day. <laughs> What's a friend going to say? Well, what are you thinking? Making the most of that place requires diligence. It requires a plan. My, my wife was mapping out our plan for two weeks to make sure we caught as many rides as possible. It took intentionality, okay? It took speed, urgency, sweat, hustle to enjoy Disneyland for all that it is. Now... <laughs> now think about that in the Christian life. Some of us are sitting here this morning saying, man, this is not all it was cracked up to be. And we're doing the spiritual equivalent of just that. We've got in the gate and we're just sitting put until Jesus comes, wondering why we're not experiencing all this stuff we're hearing about from other people. And God's saying, get up. Make every effort to grow. My strength, my spirit will be there with you. See, there's two kinds of frustration. There's trying to do everything in your own power. You can't do that. 
But there's also sitting around and waiting for God to do everything. There are things He has told us to do, and He will come along with His power. What's our motivation? Verse 9, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He's saying if we don't have these qualities in our lives, it's because we've forgotten what he's done for us. You say, oh, I remember it, but do we really remember? Do we remember the cross? Because he says if you don't have these qualities in your life, you've forgotten you were cleansed from your former sins. You, you want to hit the reset button? Go back to the cross and remember everything Jesus did when He died for your sins. The new life He gave you at great cost to Himself. And He says, that'll give you all the motivation you need to say, all right, I'm going to go get it for Him. Wow. Do you remember all He's done for you? I want to close by talking about confirmation and eternal reward. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. What's it mean to confirm your calling? Like somehow if you do all these things, you're going to show God that you're right with Him by faith in Jesus? No, He knows. He knows if you've made that decision of faith. But what it does is, I don't know if you've noticed this. When you walk in obedience to Christ as one of His followers, you often have a greater personal assurance that you're one of His children. And so do those around you. They look and say, yeah, that's one that's been touched by Christ. And when we start disobeying and doing our own thing, we, we have all these open-ended questions in our minds. God knows, but we wrestle because we know what's going on in our heart and mind. You want to confirm it in your heart? You want to walk in assurance? Add these things to your life. You want people around you to know you're a, a follower? Add these things to your life. And he says, if you practice these, you'll never fall. You'll never fall. He's not talking about losing salvation there, I don't believe. He's saying, if you add these things to your life, there are a lot of pitfalls in this life you're going to avoid. If you don't, you're going to experience more pitfalls than you need to. Finally, verse 11, for in this way, what way? If you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if you know that salvation is by grace through faith, at first glance, these verses make you a little uncomfortable because it sounds almost like he's saying if you practice these qualities, then you'll be welcome into heaven. But there's more to it than that. He says, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That same term was used to welcome back victorious Olympians when they came home. Champions in the games. There was a rich, festive welcome. What I think he's getting at by saying richly provided, is there going to be different kinds of welcomes into heaven based on our faithfulness here? All His children are welcomed by grace 
Those who faithfully cooperate with His Spirit in obedience will receive this rich welcome filled with reward. Why do I say that? Because Paul speaks of the other extreme of believer. The believer who just gets inside the gate. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And I want to ask you all a question that know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. What kind of welcome do you want in heaven? Do you want to be that, that man or woman saved, but just as though by fire? Not much faithfulness to show. I just got inside the gate. Or do you want to be that one that cooperated with the Spirit and the power of God and the promises of God and partaking in the divine nature and added these things to your life and you get there and you hear that, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I would, I would hate to have a church of people that just got in the gate. I would love to have a church of people that said, yeah, let's get it for Jesus. Look at all he did for us. Let's, let's, let's go get it. I want to close by sharing something that happened on Friday. Took, took my family up to Flagstaff. And we went up to the top of Snow Bowl. And we found the Aspen Loop Trail. We went a little further up than we ever had, and it was the most beautiful forest in Flagstaff that we've ever seen. There were so many yellow ferns on the ground, I had to tell my kids a dad joke. This is a well-furnished forest. <laughs> Jaden said, Dad, sometimes you just try too hard. I said, I know, it's my job. It's my <laughs> it was beautiful. We've lived here for 18 years and we've never experienced that trail. All we had to do was go a little further up, a little further in. I think, man, are there parts of our Christian life that, that are like that? Parts that we have not yet explored and Jesus is calling us just to go a little further up, uh, a little further in, see what he's got. I, I think about a song by Disciple. It's called More. The chorus says, I want more, I want more. Now that I've got you, I've got it all. But I want more for you. That's the spirit. Yeah, God's everything we'll ever need, but now I want to bring Him glory more and more. Right. Let me close by saying a few things. God provides everything we do not and cannot have on our own. But He will not do what we can do for ourselves. It's all there for our use. The question is, will we receive it by faith and then act in faith on what we've received? Now, I don't know if any of you read this passage and you think about adding these things and maybe it seems kind of human-centric to you. Not at all. Trace it back up. 
You ever watch a mystery show like, and you watch it from beginning to end, like Carolyn Loves Murder, she wrote. It, and, and then you watch it to the end, you're like, oh, that's how the whole strand fits together. You trace it back up, and then you watch it the second time. It's a whole different... Watch how you trace this back up through this chapter, and I'd encourage you to do it backwards later. He, he talks about this diligent practice. But you go back up, that comes from the partaking of the divine nature through the very great promises which come through intimate relational knowledge of Him, which provides divine power that grants us all that pertains to life and godliness, which becomes ours when we accept the righteousness of God by faith. You see, when you trace it all the way back up, it's not human-centric at all. It all flows from Him. The question is, will we accept it by faith and walk in cooperation? I want to close by sharing what I saw out my window the other day. While I was working on this, I saw a yellow swallowtail butterfly. And then I saw another one out front. And I believe that's the Arizona State butterfly, if you didn't know. It's beautiful. Huge yellow butterfly. And I thought about, out there flying, flapping in the wind. And what, what if you saw one of those just kind of crawling around in the dirt? And you watched him for 30 minutes or an hour. Wouldn't there be a part of you like, man, he got these beautiful wings. What are you doing crawling down there? Go fly. Go fly. You're a new creation. And I wonder if, wonder if there are times in our lives where we're down here crawling and, and God's up there saying, hey, what are you doing? I love you. I made you a new creation. I gave you these beautiful spiritual wings. I'll go fly. Right, Lord, Thank you for Peter's challenge here. I confess there are seasons of my life where, where I grow complacent. or Sometimes, man, in this world, there's so much going on. We get distracted. Lord, there's so much for us to explore. I pray that you'd never allow those who know you in this room to believe the lie that, that we've reached the end of our growth. <laughs> There's so much you have for us. I pray that we would be those who are aware of your power. Those who know your promises and, and cling to them. And those who realize we have your spirit. We partake in your nature. We're new creations in Christ. Those who go further up and further in. Help us in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.